Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, this is a History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is The Ruin and the Deluge, part two of three. Last week I described a major Cossack rebellion in the Commonwealth of Poland-Lithuania, led by Bogdan Khmernitsky. The uprising was partly a response to local grievances, but also an attempt to retain a degree of autonomy for his fellow Cossacks. However, by appealing to Moscow for help, Khmernitsky triggered the invasion of Sweden as well as Russia, which ultimately caused devastation and the beginning of the end of Poland as a major power. The events are known as the Swedish Deluge, or just the Deluge in Poland, and as the Ruin in Ukrainian history. The term Deluge was popularised by Henrik Sienkiewicz, who wrote a trilogy in the 1880s, based around the time of the rebellion and the subsequent invasions. The three parts are called With Fire and Sword, The Deluge and Fire and the Steppe, and have all been adapted for film. Another film inspired by the period was a 1933 Hollywood movie called Queen Christina, where Greta Garbo played the 17th century Queen of Sweden, who falls in love with a visiting Spanish envoy whom she is forbidden to marry, and must choose between love and her royal duty. The life and story of the real Queen Christina of Sweden is quite different from the film. The real Christina inherited the Swedish throne when not quite six years old, when her father, King Gustavus Adolphus, died at the Battle of Lützen, 1632. For the first years of her reign, the chief minister, Axel Oxenstierna, worked hard to extricate Sweden from 30 years' war without losing the territorial gains made by Gustavus. In the Peace of Westphalia, 1648, Sweden gained Western Pomerania, including the ports of Stettin, Straussund, and the mouth of the river Oder, the port of Wismar, and an outlet to the sea in Bremen-Verden. Unlike her father, Queen Christina had no interest in military matters, 
favouring peace and the enjoyment of cultured society. She was a patron of the arts, especially of painting and the opera. She did also take the business of government seriously, understanding the importance of building up a Swedish mercantile fleet. In the 1640s, some Swedes crossed the Atlantic to build up Fort Christina, today the town of Wilmington in Delaware, but it proved impossible to defend New Sweden from the more determined Dutch colonisers. Christina decided not to marry. Partly it is believed because she was bisexual, but also she rebelled against the fetters of royal motherhood. In 1654, she abdicated her throne for personal reasons, converted to Catholicism, and lived out the rest of her life in Italy. Her cousin, Charles Gustav, who ascended to the throne as Charles X in July 1654, brought a new dynamism to the government. Commander-in-chief of the Swedish forces in Germany, in the closing phase of the Thirty Years' War, he was a soldier of considerable ability. At the time of his accession, the neighbouring Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth was in turmoil. As described in last week's podcast, the Cossacks of Ukraine were in rebellion and had formed an agreement with Muscovy, who invaded Lithuania in the summer of 1654 and seized the city of Smolensk. Charles was concerned about the Russian armies gaining ground in the southern Baltic coastline, where he had ambitions himself, but at the same time he was wary of provoking conflict with Muscovy. To wage war on Moscow would be very risky, unless an alliance with the Commonwealth, and there was little prospect of a rapid settlement in Swedish-Polish differences. Charles could potentially have offered support to the Poles in exchange for Livonia and the abandonment of the Polish king's claim to the Swedish throne. But instead he opted in March 1655 to take advantage of the Commonwealth's predicament to invade them with the aim of territorial gains and to preempt further Muscovite gains. He realised the decision risked provoking war with Muscovy, but tried to take precautions against this. The Commonwealth was in dire straits, while the main Russian army captured Smolensk, another in the south quickly overran the territory between the Dnieper and Berezina, and a third in the north seized the Lithuanian cities of Nevel, Palotsk and Vitebsk. By December 1654, the Tsar's troops were swarming over Polish Livonia. Meanwhile, the Cossack rebels under Boadan Kmeniski attacked Polish settlements in the southern region of Volhynia. The chief commander of the Lithuanian army, Jonas Rodjevel, had at his disposal only a fraction of the 18,000 soldiers which the Commonwealth's parliament should have provided. In early 1655, he launched a counter-offensive with some success, but this provoked Muscovy into a new offensive. The Lithuanian forces offered little effective resistance and surrendered Minsk to the Cossacks 
on the 3rd of July. Vilnius, the capital of the Grand Duchy of Lithuania, was taken by the Russians on the 31st of July. Charles X's primary aim was to secure Royal Prussia, the western half of Prussia on the Baltic coastline next to Pomerania. He decided against a risky landing on the Prussian coast, opting instead for a two-pronged approach, one from the east from Livonia and the other from the west from Pomerania. The hastily drafted peasantry of the Commonwealth's army showed little inclination to fight the highly professional Swedish army. Already by the 25th of July, the regions of Poznan and Kirish had surrendered, accepting Charles's protection and promising him loyalty and obedience. Furious at the lack of support Lithuania had received from Warsaw, Radjavil came to an agreement with the Swedes in August, which led, in October, to signing a treaty recognising Charles X as Grand Duke of Lithuania and proclaiming a union of Lithuania with Sweden. Most Lithuanians, however, did not agree with Radjavil's actions and continued to resist. Much of the Lithuanian army rallied around Hetman Pavel Jan Sapia and reinforced by peasant militia carried out hit-and-run campaigns against the invaders. The Polish government was in total disarray and at the point of collapse and even offered the crown to the Habsburgs in a desperate attempt to get help from the empire. Meanwhile, the King of Poland, John Casimir, tried to rally support and headed west from Moscow in a brave effort to confront the Swedes. After clashes with the Swedish advanced guard, John Casimir retreated south towards Krakow. Charles entered Warsaw on the 8th of September and turned south in pursuit. John Casimir confronted the Swedes again at the Battle of Zarnov on the 16th of September, but a cavalry charge was repulsed by Swedish firepower, and the Poles withdrew after heavy rain interrupted hostilities. A desperate attempt by the Poles to relieve Krakow was repulsed near Voynich on the 3rd of October, and Poland's ancient capital surrendered on the 19th of October. By the end of October 1655, John Casimir had fled Poland to Silesia, and all of the Commonwealth had fallen into Muscovite or Swedish hands, except for the city of Lvov. Lvov was besieged by the Cossack army of Hmelnitsky, but agreed to lift the siege on the 28th of October and returned for a considerable payment. Concerned about news of raids from Crimean Tatars along the river Dnieper, Khmelnytsky left the last remaining city in Polish hands, which ended up allowing the Poles a final refuge from which to organise a recovery. In Berlin, the great elector of Brandenburg, Frederick William, witnessed what appeared to be the total collapse of Poland and became worried about royal Prussia, which he held as a Polish fief. Over the years, he had built up one of the largest and best-trained armies in Europe and marched with them into Royal Prussia in October. 
On the 12th of November, he concluded a defensive alliance with the Prussian nobility and Frederick William provided garrisons to defend against the imminent Swedish invasion. However, the cities of Danzig, Elbing and Thorn refused to accept Brandenburg garrisons. Hearing of the news of these events, Charles X immediately moved north from Krakow to bring Prussia under Swedish control, and by December had occupied all of Royal Prussia except for Danzig and Marienburg. Frederick William decided not to continue to resist, but to accept Swedish terms. Signing the Treaty of Königsberg on the 17th of January 1656, he agreed to become a vassal and ally of Sweden. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The sudden implosion of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth reverberated far beyond its borders. The Habsburgs were concerned at the threat to the fragile peace achieved in 1648 at the Peace of Westphalia. The Dutch, who were in the middle of a war with England and the Danes, were both concerned about the Swedish conquest of Royal Prussia, which would complete Swedish domination of the Baltic coastline. Charles found that it was far easier to beat the Poles in battle than to subjugate the nation. And his lightning warfare was outpacing his country's resources. He had an expensive army of foreign mercenaries, and the payments demanded from captured towns and villages were naturally unpopular. Although serious efforts were made to limit looting, it proved impossible to police, and Swedish troops frequently went plundering when they were not paid on time. The Poles became inflamed by stories, perhaps sometimes exaggerated, of Swedish atrocities, murder, desecration of churches and monasteries. The nobility soon formed military detachments throughout the country and harassed the Swedes in guerrilla-style warfare. The iconic event of the resistance occurred in the limestone uplands of the Polish Jura region, northeast of Krakow. There, the town of Czestochowa 
is dominated by the monastery of Yasna Gora, home of the Black Madonna, an icon venerated by Catholic pilgrims for at least two centuries before the Swedish invasion. In late autumn, the monastery withstood a ten-week siege by Swedish mercenaries, who were eventually forced to retire by the coming of winter. Yasnogoa's proud defiance of the invader fired national enthusiasm and passed into patriotic legend, immortalised towards the end of the 19th century in a novel by Henrik Sienkiewicz called The Deluge. The event is a milestone in the embedding of the Catholic faith in the culture of the Polish people, writes Alan Palmer in his book Northern Shores, quote, To Catholic contemporaries, the Black Madonna's victory left no doubt that the angels were on the side of Poland. A century earlier, Poland had been a tolerant state, accepting Lutheran, Calvinist and even Unitarian believers, though its kings never wavered from the Catholic faith. Decades of defence against Sweden's militant Lutheranism changed the spirit of the nation. Soon, King John Casimir returned from exile, persuading many of the Polish troops who had switched to the Swedes to switch back again. By March, some 2,500 regular cavalry had been raised, and a start was made on the contingent of foreign mercenaries. The situation still didn't look promising for the Poles, but Charles X was concerned enough to rush back from Prussia to Poland at the head of his army. After some minor successes, the Swedes were repulsed at the fortress of Zamosh in southeastern Poland. Harried by Polish forces, the Swedish army under Charles faced encirclement as the Polish army quickly swelled. Charles retreated north but was trapped in the confluence of the rivers Vistula and San, and facing disaster with 5,500 men against over 20,000. As the Poles waited for their artillery and infantry, Charles escaped with characteristic bravado before the trap was shut, but nevertheless suffered heavy casualties. The tide of the war had turned with a vengeance, became clear that the forces of Sweden's disposal were insufficient to force a quick end to the war. Charles's dash to the south had also ruined any hopes of a quick capture of Danzig. John Casimir returned to his capital, Warsaw. Charles then retook the city with a brilliantly fought battle, but Charles still had the same problem of not being able to control all the conquered territory. Frederick William provided the Swedes with garrisons in Wielka Polska, northeastern Poland, but refused further military cooperation. Another problem for Charles was that the Swedish garrisons in Poland were handicapped by poor fortifications, which meant that towns were easy to take, but difficult to hold. When the garrisons needed to go out to forage, they were vulnerable to ambush by peasants or marauding cavalry. More worryingly for Charles, he was now facing a war on two fronts, as Tsar Alexis of Muscovy agreed a rapprochement with John Casimir. In early 1656, Muscovite representatives engaged with those of the Commonwealth. 
When negotiations were still ongoing, Alexis declared war on Sweden in March. He returned to the front in early July and began moving his army down the river Daugava against Riga. With Sweden's northern army in Prussia, the Baltic provinces were dangerously exposed. The Livonian army comprised less than 3,000, with some 7,000 spread around in garrisons, wholly insufficient to take on the Muscovite assault. Unfortunately for Alexis, Riga's fortifications were more sophisticated than anything his army had yet faced, and in spite of heavy bombardment, he was unable to take the city before the onset of winter. The Muscovites did, however, capture the city of Dorpat in Estonia, and so once again gained a foothold in Livonia. Fortunately for Sweden, the Russians were straining under the effort of their military campaigns. The next year, 1657, saw no repeat attack on Riga. The Russians did send a substantial force back into Livonia that year, but they suffered a defeat at the hands of the Swedes, and the two sides agreed an uneasy truce in early 1658. Charles was lucky the Muscovites did not mount a more determined challenge because elsewhere the war was going badly. He was unable to raise sufficient new troops in the Commonwealth and his forces were thin spreadly, especially after the Muscovite attack in Livonia. In December 1656 he was able to find a new ally, Transylvania. In the Treaty of Radna, he agreed to recognise its prince, George Rakosi, as King of Poland and Grand Duke of Lithuania in exchange for military assistance. Rakosi invaded in January with an army of 25,000, forcing a Polish army to break a siege of Krakow. Charles's vision was the partition of the Commonwealth between Sweden, Brandenburg, Transylvania and the Zaporozhian Cossacks. His primary interest for his own country was always control of the Baltic coastline. However, the plan had little chance of success, for once Frederick William gained recognition of his sovereignty in Prussia, he was no longer interested in the extension of Swedish power. And the Transylvanian army, although numerous, was not of high quality. The hetman of the Zaporozhian Cossacks, Komarnitsky, was concerned by Moscow's truce with Poland. In response, he renewed diplomatic alliances with Moldavia, Wallachia and Transylvania in the south, and with Lithuania and Sweden in the north, in the hope of achieving independence from Cossack Ukraine. These hopes, however, depended on the military success of Sweden, and Charles X for the moment was most interested in the Baltic theatre of operations. Moreover, the Swedish king faced political difficulties at home, which distracted him in late 1656. Such a network of alliances proved difficult to maintain, and the Cossacks and Transylvanians ended up clashing over what each considered their rightful share of territory in Volhynia and Galicia. In addition, Maritsky's diplomatic ventures angered the Muscovites, who in response tried to weaken his authority by sowing discord among his army. At this critical moment in August 1657, Khmelnytsky died. His successor, Ivan 
Zhukovsky faced immense challenges in keeping the Cossacks united. He had a more pro-Polish inclination than his predecessor, but tried negotiating with each of Sweden, the Commonwealth and Muscovy to try to achieve a degree of political independence for Ukraine. Thank you for listening to A History of Europe Key Battles podcast. I hope you can join me next week for the third and concluding part on the ruin and the deluge. Until then, have a great week and goodbye. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts og forklarer mig nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmakker.